Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program. I live in Southern California, Los Angeles. This is Baja Norte. If you do not speak Spanish in Los Angeles, you're missing out on a whole lot. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. And for a very limited time, LeVar Burton Reed's listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash LeVar. That's rosettastone.com slash L-E-V-A-R. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Hi, I'm LeVar Burton, and this is LeVar Burton Reads. In every episode, I handpick a different piece of short fiction and read it to you. The only thing these stories have in common is that I love them. And I hope you will, too. Today's story, y'all, is by the author Silvia Moreno-Garcia, who writes gothic horror, urban fantasy, Noir, thrillers, dark fairy tales, this woman writes the works. Now, you might have heard about or read her novel that was released last year called Mexican Gothic, her own take on the classic gothic haunted house story. And she's got a new novel out right now called Velvet Was the Night. That's a noir thriller about a missing student set in 1971 Mexico. Now, this story... On the Lonely Shore, was first published in Uncanny magazine, and it uses some of the gothic tropes that she manipulates so beautifully in some of her other works. It's set in this wonderfully austere old house by the sea, and I really love that it kept me on my toes. Now, before I start the read, I do want to let you all know that this is the final story of Season 9. Not the final story of the podcast, just Season 9. And you probably already know that I can't stay away from the pod for too long. So please look out for more stories soon, including the winning entry of the LeVar Burton Reads Writing Contest. And in the meantime, if there is an author or a story that you would like for me to read, do send me your suggestions. You can find me at LeVarBurtonReads at gmail.com. So, if you're ready, let's take a deep breath. Begin. On the Lonely Shore by Silvia Moreno-Garcia His condition was quickly deteriorating, and thus it was deemed best that he journey to Saltwater House. The ocean air, the murmur of the waves, 
they would soothe him. Balthazar had a fortune and a name. Judith had neither. Her father had been a friend to Balthazar's father. She was now an orphan, though she was no trembling waif-child. At twenty-two, she was too old for such a designation. Nevertheless, the loss of her father and the subsequent funeral and the settling of his accounts had depleted their already meager purse. Judith's father had gifted his only daughter fine frocks and hair combs, but that was years ago, before his luck turned, and the vast majority of such gifts had been sold. Judith found herself with a terribly small inheritance and no way to supplement this dismal income. That is, until she was summoned by Balthazar's mother. Her son needed a companion. He was a witty, well-educated, and vivacious young man. Or he had been one. But his condition changed the situation. Saltwater was a fine old house, but it was isolated. He would be lonely there. With no art exhibits to attend, no strolls down the boulevard, no conversation in the tumultuous cafes, melancholia was sure to strike. He needed not a nurse as much as a friend. And since his condition was delicate and the situation quite fraught, it would have to be someone with an even temper and common sense. Someone who could watch over Balthazar without him feeling as though he was being spied on. Someone like Judith, who possessed a charming smile. Therefore, they journeyed there to the shuttered house by the sea. A couple of trusty servants went ahead of them to pull the sheets off the furniture and dust off the candelabra, and when they arrived, it was indeed the pleasant, whitewashed house Judith had seen in paintings, an austere-looking, century-old house, though that same austerity gave it a certain romanticism. There would be a cook and a maid who would come in several times a week, but Judith had been warned the stay would be lonesome. Yet it seemed to her now that it would be entirely bearable. It's a delight, she told him. I can picture you playing at pirates in this place. You'd be wrong. We seldom visited Saltwater, he replied, his gloved hands in his jacket pockets, looking up at the house. He did not need his cane every day, though they'd brought it along with the laudanum and the porcelain hot water bottle. That seems a bit of a pity. Grandmother lived here, and so did my uncle and my aunt. The house is a place for old people, for the infirm. He said, I hope the cook's dishes have improved. 
There was a distinct lack of variety to them. I'm sure we'll be fine. You cannot expect a feast from a grand hotel when you are in a remote abode. Well, no. At least the wine should be good. There's a little cellar. A delightful cellar, I suppose. Oh, don't you dare mock me and my naive optimism, she said, taking his arm as they made their way inside. He smiled. They had known each other for only a couple of weeks, though letters had served as an introduction, ink and paper establishing a link between them which was being fleshed out. But already they had acquired an easy rapport. Judith had obviously been well-picked for this task. Over the next couple of days, she familiarized herself with the house. It was smallish, as Balthazar had predicted, and filled with a multitude of trinkets, the carved teeth of whales, a collection of sea urchins and starfish, and a great big clam, an empty metal birdcage where a parrot had once sat, watercolors of dolphins and marine mammals, and a coquettish oil painting depicting a mermaid, her nipples peeping between her hands. The food was simple but plentiful, and soon they settled into a routine of late and lazy mornings followed by leisurely lunches. The cook left them watercress sandwiches and little cakes, and every other morning a maid would come by to clear their dishes and tidy up. Judith felt like a heroine in a fairy tale, attended by invisible servants, though in truth she guessed she was merely one more servant, the dutiful nurse. Balthazar liked crosswords, which they solved together, and they spent much of their day reading and chatting. There were impromptu piano recitals, He played, she sang. Their audience were the pictures on the walls and an old tabby which came and went as it pleased. There was some sketching and much walking down the path which led to the front door of the house, past the elms and blackberry bushes growing wild. The sea he did not like, and there she had to head alone. He seldom agreed to venture behind the house, down the trail which took them to the beach, claiming the rocks were slippery and the sun here did not suit him well, even beneath his wide straw hat, as if the sun had a different quality than the sun in other parts of the world. Judith let him be, until he had one bad night and then another. She knew a salt bath was what he needed, and she convinced him to go with her down to the beach to dip his feet in the blue-green waters. They walked slowly, he leaning on her, and when they reached the shore, he rolled up his trousers up to his knees and sat on a large rock. (sighs) 
I'm glad you agreed to come today. It's beautiful here, she said. Yes, I know. We should come more often. Your mother explained it would do you well, and it's refreshing, isn't it? The breeze is lovely. I'd rather be in the city. It's too warm this time of year. Concert season will be in full swing now. I'll miss everything of importance. We could put the gramophone to good use tonight, she said. Or else we might play the piano again. She realized as soon as she suggested it that this would be a poor substitute to the pageantries he was used to. But she could offer nothing else. He dipped his toes in a small puddle of seawater. Tiny crabs scuttled by his toes, trying to hide behind rocks. The angle of his hat did not allow her to see his eyes, but his lips were pursed, and he stood up quickly, hurrying back to the house. What is it? she asked. I have no desire to be here right now, and wish to go in. He walked much too fast. By the time he had reached the stairs of the house, he was out of breath, and she maneuvered herself to stand by his side, helping him walk up the steps. That night was bad, and she knew very well they ought to have stayed by the seashore. But there was little to be done now. She offered to draw him a warm bath with plenty of sea salts, but Balthazar shook his head, stubborn. No, give me the tincture. You know it should be a last resource, she said. My body aches and I have a fever. For God's sake, Judith, hand me the tincture. She grabbed the blue bottle from above the mantelpiece and unscrewed the cap, careful measuring the right doses onto a spoon. As soon as the liquid touched his tongue, his eyes dilated and he leaned back against the cushions, his ragged breath slowing down. She sat next to him, and held his hands between her own until he closed his eyes. When she attempted to rise, however, he turned his head and looked at her. Judith, can you stay a little while longer? As long as you like, she said. He smiled at her. There was an old wheelchair in the corner which had belonged to Balthazar's grandfather, and Judith was careful to cover it with a blanket because she knew he did not like the sight of it. But since she was tidying the room, she had removed the blanket as she fiddled with linens and clothes and personal items. He walked into the room and stood there, staring at the wheelchair. Judith quickly placed the blanket on top of it, but the damage was done. She could see all mirth draining from Balthazar's face as he sat on a large leather chair and glanced out the window and put his gloved hands together. This really was one of the worst rooms in the house. The master bedroom was much cooler, but it had a view of the sea 
and Balthazar would not abide the sound of the waves at night. He was a light sleeper. She slept in the master bedroom instead and craned her neck at night, looking at the white curtains as they blew gently into the room. The wallpaper in that room was as blue as the sea, and the paintings were of boats and shipwrecks. In Balthazar's room, the paintings were of fruits, and she imagined that had as much to do with his choice of quarters as the lack of an ocean view. I'm going blackberry picking today, she told him. I plan to make jam. Won't you come with me? I had better not, he said, and he was already reaching for the blue bottle, throwing his head back as he took a swig. Balthazar, really, she said, snatching the bottle and placing it back on the side table. You are supposed to have only a small dose. Oh, what do you know? And he turned his face away from her. Go. Get out. I have a headache and no desire to hear you blabber today. It was the rough distaste in his voice which hurt her more than the words, and she silently stepped out of the room and went to the kitchen, where she grabbed a straw hat and a pail and set off. It was too hot a day to stay out for long, but she lingered by the blackberry bushes. Some berries were already too ripe, and when she pulled at them, they became a pulp against her hands. But there were a fair number which still shone a glossy red, and ones that were firm and perfect. More than once the thorns scratched her arms, but she did not mind, and her fingers grew dark and sticky with berry juice. She took her pail to the kitchen and washed the berries, then set upon mashing them and boiling them. The kitchen was a bit of a mess, and when the cook came in the next day, she might complain about it, but Judith decided she'd worry about that later. After she was done, she sat in a kitchen chair and slowly took the pins from her hair. The day was terribly hot and even hotter in the kitchen. Her neck was sweaty, and her dress was stained with the juice of the blackberries. She shook her hair out, shook out the last pin, and let it fall on a ceramic plate. Judith. She turned around and looked at Balthazar, who was leaning heavily against the doorframe. His eyes were glassy with the laudanum. She could see that. But she saw something new, too flushed cheeks, and the sheen of sweat upon his face were expected. The day was warm, and he was prone to aches and fevers. But there was pure wonder in his eyes, and a raw, open yearning, which made her flush as crimson as him. They looked at each other in silence. He was so pale, dear Balthazar. Skin like marble and hair like coal, and his eyes so very dark. He'd never been handsome, but as the days passed and his condition slowly deteriorated, 
his skin seemed to acquire a soft glow. The eyes burnished bright, and there was a lovely sadness to the curve of his mouth. She looked at him and wondered what might happen if she touched those lips with the tip of her fingers. But she did not dare move. They had both become statues and gazed at each other. Somewhere in the house a clock marked the hour, and the spell that held them together was broken. He shuffled into the kitchen. Jam making? He asked. Yes, I hope you like it on your toast, she said, raising a hand and rubbing the back of her neck. Did you need anything? I wanted to see if you'd returned. He leaned over the pot and slowly stirred the wooden spoon. I wanted to apologize, he added. It's just sometimes the pain is too much. She nodded. He turned around and sat across from her, leaning his elbows on the kitchen table. Will you give me a penance? He asked. You could help me fill the jam jars. That I could do. And you'll go down to the beach with me tomorrow. Ah, Judy, he muttered, and she lowered her eyes, blushing. It's your penance, but I'll pack us a lunch and you'll love my cucumber sandwiches. He smiled at her. Very well, he said. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I was hours into a hunt for new digs at the local shopping mall and losing steam fast when fate intervened. Drumsticks, get your drumsticks! Nutty, sweet drumstick? What luck! One drumstick, please. Here you go. This is hot and made of chicken. I want an ice-cold, creamy, crunchy drumstick Sunday cone. You and me both, buddy. But that's the vendor next door. Drumsticks! But that line is three miles long! Oh, well. Another day, another drumstick. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Save big money and start your spring project with help from Menards. We offer a huge selection of body plants, veggies, and herbs to plant at home and grow yourself. Right now, all four and a half inch Bonnie plants are on sale through May 5th. Head to the Menards Garden Center to get your garden growing and check out our weekly flyer on Menards.com for all the great deals happening now. Save big money at Menards.
let's get back to our story. He went down to the seashore the next day and the day after that. He was much improved there. And they rested in one of the little coves, the water lapping at their feet. Sea spray and gulls above their heads and little seashells under their feet. He seemed calmer, and he wasn't drinking any of the laudanum. The sun and the sea soothed him. She lay next to him on a large blue blanket, and they talked about inconsequential things. I will miss the season for opera, to go down the boulevard at twilight and see the opera house, he said. They had taken their shoes off, and Judith wriggled her toes and leaned back, an arm behind her head. Well, you might have improved by then, she ventured. He chuckled. (laughs) There is no improving me, he said, shaking his head and touching his neck, knotted with the wide cravat. Can't you see? Can't you hear me at night, wheezing and coughing? She could see, indeed. Those fine, dark veins now standing starker against the alabaster skin, and his skillful hands hidden, as always, under dark leather, which were losing their elasticity, which trembled a little and would not be able to play the piano very soon. She felt so terribly sorry for him, and she turned and pressed her palm against his face, and he sighed, clutching her hand. Judith, he whispered. Her name on his lips startled her. She felt that no one had ever said it the way he did, the syllables sweet and low in his throat. She could not resist. She leaned forward and kissed him on the lips. He kissed her back, drawing her close, his fingers splayed against her back. A long, lingering kiss before he untangled himself from her arms and stood up. Wait, she said, trying to hold on to him. He brushed her hand away. I'm going back. And you? You should leave the house, he said. Go back to the city. Balthazar! Please let me be, he exclaimed. And he stumbled a little when he walked. Nevertheless, he rushed off, leaving her to fold the blanket with tears in her eyes. After that, he wouldn't walk back to the beach with her. Instead, isolating himself in his room. At nights, he drank liberally from the blue bottle. More often than not, when she stepped into his room, he was in bed, asleep. Or it was as if he slept, his eyes half-lidded, not really seeing her. The pain, it was worse. The fever spiked. He rolled around under the covers, drenched in sweat. He would not talk to her about it. 
He would not let her draw his bath or read him a book or even sit by his bedside, looking away when she chanced to pass by. Why are you still here? He asked her one evening when she came to pick up the dish he had not eaten. Your mother hired me. She's the one who can fire me, she said. Then I'll write to her, he promised. Maybe he did, maybe he didn't, but a letter never came bidding her to go. Things didn't improve with them, though. Something was broken, and Judith didn't know if she should stay or if she should abandon him like he wanted. In the end, she remained, running her hands upon the green bottles filled with tiny ships and listening to the wind chimes as she sat on the bottom step of the stairs which led to the house. They existed in different worlds now. He'd exiled himself to a distant island, even if they still lived under the same roof. And try as she might, she could not reach him. They remained like that, and she felt herself growing smaller and smaller, pushed to the edge of the map. Then, one night, when his moans were too loud, she went to his room and found him on the floor, shaking. Judy, I need... I... The laudanum, he said. She grabbed the bottle from the table, but it was empty. Judith managed to help him stand up and got him back in bed. Then she filled a basin with water, grabbed a towel, and began dabbing at his forehead, his face... Feeling better? she asked, after a while. Much, he muttered. His lips looked chapped, so she hurried to pour him a glass of water from a lovely blue carafe and helped him hold the glass. When he was done drinking, she took out a quilt from the chest at the foot of the bed and unfolded it. When she was certain he was comfortable, she brushed his hair from his face and prepared to say her goodbyes. But he surprised her by catching her hand and sitting up. Judy, I'm sorry for telling you to go. But you understand, you do understand why I said this. I will change, Judy. I don't want you to be here when I change. I've always known, she protested. No, he said, shaking his head. You don't understand. You know, but you don't understand. He unbuttoned his shirt, the fingers clumsy, and he turned his head so that she might take a good look at his neck. She saw the red raw indentations on the side, still closed, unmistakably gills which would spread and open any day now. And he held his hands up, showing off the delicate membrane which was growing between his fingers. 
he swallowed and closed his eyes. I'll go off to sea. What will you do, Judy? Bundle me in the old chair and push me to the beach so I can slide into the water. Would you truly wish to witness that? Perhaps I would. He snapped his eyes open and looked at her, blinking, the pale, nictitating membrane sliding upon his eyes for a second and then fluttering away. You would not, he said hoarsely. Nobody would. That is why I am here, and my family is back in the city. I'm not afraid. I want to stay with you, she said, her fingers finding his chest, her palm settling upon his heart. What will you have me do? He asked desperately. Close your eyes, she said. He did, and she pressed a kiss to his lips, light and quick, then a second one until at the third kiss his mouth opened and he was kissing her back. Slowly, he drew her near until she lay at his side and he opened his eyes. I'll be gone so soon, he said. Too soon. You're here, now, she said. And when you are gone, maybe you'll remember me. And from time to time, I'll swim by the shore to be near you, he whispered. And she nodded, thinking of a day when she'd walk down to the beach and stand on the sand, looking at the tide rack and the sea foam, at the sun dipping into the horizon. Judith, standing on her tiptoes, trying to see if a pale form might bob its head above the water. Outside was the blue sea of late summer, waiting for Balthazar. But for now, he was here, and she embraced him and he touched her, planting kisses on her neck and drawing her into his arms so that they crashed against the sheets. And he wrapped strands of her hair around his fingers. She gasped for breath, tumbling against his body, pressing her lips to his skin, which tasted of salt. And there was salt in her eyes, but she blinked the tears away and smiled. Well, uh, a, a couple of thoughts uh, about this story. First of all, can we talk about cucumber sandwiches? Because <laughs> I've actually 
had a cucumber sandwich. But before having a cucumber sandwich, I could not imagine what a cucumber sandwich would taste like. My wife, Stephanie, is a big uh, fan of tea. She she loves tea um, and going to tea, hotels that that do high tea. And, and, and she even sometimes has teas at home, inviting women friends um, and the like. And, and I've, I've, uh, I've actually had a cucumber sandwich and, and uh, the cucumber sandwich has, um, in, in my estimation, received a bad rap over time. And um, I'm a cucumber sandwich stan. Come at me. Okay. Now, one of the aspects of this story that was really interesting for me in, in, in preparing to read it aloud was, you know, trying to figure out when Judith realizes what's going on with Balthazar, right? I mean, she's, she accepts this job because she needs the work, she needs the money, um, and clearly um, there's something going on with him. Um, and, and, and whatever it is, it is progressive, right? And, and so being one of those stories that keeps us kind of in the dark until the writer is ready to reveal to us what's going on. There's a, a fine line that I have to find as the reader in terms of who knows what, when. Those are decisions that I need to make in order to effectively tell the story. So in, in, in a sense... In a sense, I'm making a decision for you as the listener as to when you find out. But again, as always, I'm, I'm really doing my utmost best to take those cues from the text, from the writer uh, themselves. And, and in, in this case, it was, it's such a delicious reveal to me when we find out not only what is going on with him, but we find out that she had suspected so all along and fell in love in spite of the tragedy that awaits them both. I mean, this is for me, this is the definition of a bitter, sweet romance. It is tragic of the highest nature because of the way their story is destined to end. I mean, the indication is that perhaps at best, he'll remember her. And from time to time, swim close to the shore. That vulnerability, that act of being vulnerable, that for me is an ultimate act of love putting all your cards on the table and knowing that those cards might change. But having the sense of self enough to know that at the beginning and the middle and the end of the day, I am worthy of being loved. I think that's where we sort of fall short, right? There's a part of us that walks around not feeling worthy and loathe to admit it. And the best thing that we can do for ourselves and for our beloveds is to stay committed and open to the healing that love 
eventually brings. Our producer on this episode of LeVar Burton Reads is Julia Smith. She's the best in the business, y'all. Our researcher is Lakeisha Lewis. So glad you are aboard, my sister. Editing and sound design by the extraordinary Brendan Burns. Extraordinary in every sense of the word, y'all. I can tell you from personal experience. We have editing support this season from Harry Huggins and Josephine Martirana. My thanks to Silvia Moreno-Garcia for allowing me to read her story. And if you liked it, do check out her brand new noir novel, Velvet Was the Night. If you like the podcast, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or simply hook up a friend with your favorite episode. I appreciate you. And as always, you can hear episodes ad-free and also listen to exclusive bonus author interviews on Stitcher Premium. Go to stitcherpremium.com slash LeVar to start your free trial. LeVar Burton Reads is a production of Stitcher and LeVar Burton Entertainment. Our executive producers are Josephine Martirana and yours truly, LeVar Burton. And I am LeVar Burton. You can find me on Twitter at LeVar Burton and LeVar.Burton on Instagram. LeVarBurton.com is the website. I'll see you next time, but you don't have to take my word for it. Stitcher. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Long days and no drumstick make for short fuses. And this fateful Monday, my fuse was as stubby and hungry as they come. Where are the drumstick vanilla cones? Take it easy, Sonny. Where are the drumstick vanilla cones, please? Yes! Sweet, creamy, crunchy, crispy, decadent deliciousness. <clears throat> Sir, I can ring you up. In my preoccupation with scoring a drumstick, I had forgotten my wallet. Uh, do you offer buy now, pay later? Another day, another drumstick.